from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. There's a situation in the Irish health organization in the UK where uh, they had a ransomware attack and they wanted to identify what happened. And this shut down the entire Irish health system, the entire organization. Surgeries were canceled. Chemotherapy was canceled. Patients didn't know where they were going to get their care, when they were going to get that care, because entire hospitals and clinics were shut down. And... You know, after they recovered, after a month or so of full recovery, they brought in PwC to identify what happened, to do a full audit. How did this ransomware attack happen? They had several systems in place or several technologies in place, including endpoint security, to potentially identify that this ransomware actor was in their network, but they didn't. They were focused on end of attack chain. They were focused on trying to detect the attack once it happened. But as we know from Verizon and as we know from number of different organizations that do analysis into this, it takes over 200 days typically to identify that a criminal is in your network. So fundamentally, what we're seeing in that shift in cybersecurity is that we're shifting left. We're moving to the beginning of the attack chain. We're trying to identify the techniques that the criminals are trying to use to trick people. We have to understand who the criminal is targeting, why the criminal is trying to target that person, what data that person has access to. We have to understand human behavior because what is static when technology is evolving and when complexity is increasing is the human element. The UAE has long invested in cybersecurity, hosting globally significant conferences and attracting talent in this space for at least a decade. At the same time, the field of cybersecurity is shifting as the sophistication of the digital economy matures. Statista estimates that the digital economy is going to grow to 53 trillion US dollars next year. That's up from 13.5 trillion in 2018. So it's no surprise that as humanity economically interacts online, Protecting our data and identity is so important. This is particularly the case as new technologies change the way we use, store, and value data. We spoke with Nikki Cosgrove, a cybersecurity strategist at Proofpoint, to discuss their 2022 report and how the threat landscape is changing as the wider digital economy transforms. Today, we're talking with Nikki, cybersecurity strategist at Proofpoint. Nikki, thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Proofpoint and how it differs to other cybersecurity firms in the market? Sure. John, thank you so much for having me. Um, As mentioned, I'm Nikki Cosgrove. I'm a cybersecurity strategist for our international markets at Proofpoint, primarily focused on the EMEA market. And in essence, my role at the company is providing expertise on key regional cybersecurity trends, strategies, roadmaps, objectives, such as things like people-centric security, risk management, data privacy, and governance. 
And uh, prior to Proofpoint, I led product marketing at Email Fraud Defense, which was a division of a company called ReturnPath, which ultimately got acquired in the summer of 2016 by Proofpoint. And uh, earlier in my career, I worked as an advisor to uh, EMEA CISO. So CISO is based in EMEA for Forrester Research uh, and Canales, a small research company, where really during that time, I developed a deep understanding of the challenges that security risk professionals face and helped those customers really build those strategies and implement those roadmaps. So I've, in essence, brought all of that expertise and intelligence into, into my role now at Proofpoint. Okay. And, that, sounds, uh, that sounds great. What is a CISO, by the way? So I've got C-I-S-O. What does that stand for, for our audience? Yeah, good question. I realize that security, we like to use acronyms. <laughs> so uh, just yeah. to be super clear on that, uh, a CISO is the Chief Information Security Officer, in essence, it's actually quite a young role that, you know, has developed over the last 10 to 15 years. And what we've seen is as the threat landscape has evolved, as all organizations around the world are facing increasing threats where criminals are targeting them, trying to steal their data, their money, their credentials, intellectual property, the need to protect the people that are interacting with that data, the need to protect employees from being targeted from those threats or by those threats, and the need to protect the data from criminal activity, ultimately uh, brought rise to the need for the, the chief information security officer, someone within the organization that is an executive working with the board, working with the business to define cybersecurity strategies, and ultimately implement those strategies to protect data and access to that data. Okay, that makes sense. There's one other thing I wanted to ask you about, which I kind of found surprising but interesting. You mentioned cybersecurity governance. Now, we've done um, some cybersecurity episodes in the past um, based with firms in the UAE. A lot of it was very technical. We were trying to understand technically what they do from day to day, what the threat attack surface looks like, what are, what are the kind of key issues. But governance is a new word, and it kind of suggests that organizations don't just have to have the right software. They don't just have to have the right cybersecurity defenses. They actually have to look at how their organization is governed to protect or anticipate against threats and have that kind of organizational structure that maybe makes them aware of, of things that are happening. Am I right or am I wrong? So it's just an interesting discussion. What is the kind of role of governance within an organization from a cybersecurity setting? You are absolutely right. Um, so if we look at cybersecurity strategies, it's often that three-legged stool where you've got technology, you've got people, you've got process, governance. And, you know, the, it, it depends on the maturity of the organization. It depends on the risks that the organization's facing as well. But typically you need people in the security organization, whether it's internal, outsourced, you're leveraging managed service providers, um, you're leveraging people from your technology vendors as well. But ultimately people that can decipher all of the alerts, all of the data, all of the intel that you're receiving to say, this is a threat that's impacting the organization today and this is what we need to do about it. Or this is what's coming over the horizon and this is how we need to modify our controls and modify our systems to prevent against that. So the people leg of the stool. Then you've got the technology leg of the stool. There's complexity. 
increasing complexity. We're going to the cloud. We're leveraging, you know, Web 3.0. We're trying to understand the metaverse. We've got mobility during the pandemic years. We had people working from anywhere, working from home. There's increased complexity in the IT infrastructure in most organizations today. And so by implementing technology, ultimately what you're doing is trying to reduce that complexity. You want to shift left. You want to block as much as possible from reaching your people in the first place. But then critically, that third leg of the cybersecurity strategy is process, it's governance, it's those policies, it's your risk management process, understanding what exactly are the business processes we have today? What are the potential risks that can impact our ability to execute? And so what controls do we need to implement? What policies do we need to set? to minimize the likelihood and impact of those risks. So governance is critical because without governance, you really don't have a cybersecurity strategy. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And one of the things I've noticed doing this series is that I guess when we first started, we weren't asking about cybersecurity all the time. It wasn't kind of one of the core concepts behind the UAE Tech podcast, but more and more as the digital economy, particularly after COVID-19, seems to saturate, you know, so many new areas of the economy. And, and you mentioned the metaverse and some of these other ideas around kind of the future digital economy. It seems that cybersecurity comes up a lot. Um, we were talking to fintechs, of course, last week. Of course, cybersecurity is massively important for fintechs. But even when we're talking to individuals who are working on, you know, frontier type stuff like tokenization or decentralized apps. Um, all of them have some kind of use case or a point at which cybersecurity comes up. And I think that the governance point is one we haven't covered before. On that note, I know you guys did a 2022 report looking a little bit about on the region and the KSA. So what were some of the key findings of that report and, and where do you produce those reports? Absolutely. So this is what we call the voice of the CISO report. In essence, every year we roll out a survey to a number of chief information security officers globally around the world to get a sense from them around the key challenges that they're seeing uh, and how prepared they believe that their organizations are to face these cybersecurity challenges. And this year, we launched the survey again and really dug into UAE findings and KSA findings to see, you know, if there's any correlation between what's going on globally or if there are any anomalies in the regions um, to really, again, identify if there are any specific trends or tactics or challenges that UAE and KSA CISOs are facing and are trying to address. And really one of the key things that stood out for us in the UAE survey was that CISOs in the region are actually very confident. 44% of the CISOs that we surveyed feel that their organizations are at risk of suffering a material cybersecurity attack in the next 12 years. However, they feel that they're prepared. They're confident in their cybersecurity posture. However, there is a lack of consensus um, about what those threats are or about where those risks will come. Is a business email compromised? Is it an account compromised? Do they believe that they have an insider threat problem? Uh, it, it, it was actually quite broad, the number of different challenges that UAE-based CISOs believe that they're going to face over the next two years. 
and, and that was an interesting call out as well. I think the also the additional um, highlight from that survey was the fact that they feel that their preparedness is greatly improved. So again, over the pandemic, we saw a significant uptick in cyber criminals targeting employees. You're no longer behind that corporate firewall. You're no longer behind the layers and layers and layers of defenses. You're taking your personal laptop. You're using that personal laptop to perform you know, work activities. You're using your mobile phone. You might go to a coffee shop when the world opened again. Uh, we're now working from anywhere and the criminals recognize this. They recognize the fact that employees are no longer behind that corporate firewall. And so they were targeting them with phishing emails. They were targeting them with credential stealing attacks. Why hack the network if I can get you to give up your username and password? Why hack the network if I can pretend to be a trusted supplier or a trusted customer and tell you to pay an invoice or tell you to wire money to me directly because you know we've completed a service or completed a project? And so this is why we're seeing a significant uptick in fears around business email compromise, ransomware, of course, account compromise and credential stealing, because again, we're no longer behind those corporate defenses and we have more access to data than ever before. Yeah, and I know the UAE kind of has a long history in cybersecurity. There've been large cybersecurity conferences, you know, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi for at least a decade since before I can remember. Um, how is that evolving? You know, how do you, do you think it's becoming an increasingly professionalized ecosystem in the UAE and also I know a lot of people are talking about the KSA market so how do those two markets differ absolutely and yes we do see it evolving we see it um transitioning we see a lot of maturity you know before this podcast we were talking about Jitex and the number of vendors and the the, the huge crowd that was at the yeah. events great conversations that we had at the events as well and really fundamentally what that shows is you know we, again if we talk about that three-legged story we've got the people we're hiring where there's a skill shortage globally for cybersecurity professionals um, within KSA and the UAE we're actually seeing a significant increase in people learning about cybersecurity specializing in cybersecurity moving into this field so it really is a time of growth and it's a time of expansion and a time where we are seeing an increase in the number of professionals entering this field uh, we are seeing an increase in the number of vendors um, expanding into these markets as well and developing capabilities that work for the UAE market and solve for the challenges in these markets as well. But fundamentally, we're all facing the same challenge. Whether it's in UAE or KSA or the UK or the US, criminals are targeting people. And criminals are tricking and socially engineering our people into taking action whether it's installing the malware for them, giving up those credentials that just discussed earlier, or wiring the money or sending the data directly. And so the way in which we solve for these problems is consistent globally. It's implementing technology to block these threats from reaching the people in the first place. It's training our employees so that they are aware about the ways in which criminals are targeting them. And it's ensuring that we understand our data what are those crown jewels? Where do they reside? Who has access to that data? Who's interacting with that data? And again, implement processes, controls, technology to protect that data 
and to ensure that it's being processed and uh, modified in appropriate ways that comply with policy. Yeah, and data is a big word. I know in the UAE and globally, there's been this big discussion over cloud security, data sovereignty, and things like that. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, is cloud localization something that Proofpoint su suggests is a good thing? What are the issues around cloud security in the UAE and globally right now? Is it a good solution? Uh, should data be be stored, you know, within the nation state, within sovereign servers, or is 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 cloud computing still relatively stable? And you know, it's interesting where you know it was five, five, six, seven years ago when there was that trend to moving to the cloud globally. There were discussions around well, are the cloud providers secure? The concern was around mm -hmm. security of the cloud providers. If I move my data to a Microsoft or a Google or an Amazon, can they protect my data the way in which I used to protect my data with the controls and systems? And again, we've demonstrated or they've demonstrated that in some cases it's even more secure. Uh, moving mm. your data to those services is more secure than keeping it in-house. And that's why the criminals, instead of hacking Microsoft or hacking Google, they are targeting people to give up those credentials to gain access to that data. So it, 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 irrespective of whether that data is in a local data center or if it's in a cloud service, the fact is the criminals are still trying to get access to that data, whether they're hacking you or they're trying to trick your employees. I think, interestingly, we all think from a legislative, legislative perspective, different countries, not limited to the Middle East, but different countries around the world, mandate that certain types of data is stored um, within the within the country, within the borders. Um, and that's why we're seeing a lot of the cloud providers offer capabilities where you can pick and choose where your data is stored. But fundamentally, from a cybersecurity perspective, whether that data is in-country or in a different location, you still need to protect your assets. You still need to protect your people. You need to ensure that the criminals don't get access to that data. So while moving to the cloud is a game changer, it increases business agility, flexibility, efficiency. We can innovate. We can be more agile. We can collaborate with different third parties, with suppliers. We can, in some cases, reduce costs. We can be more innovative. The reality is that data is the new oil. It's our crown jewels. It's how we are innovating. It's how we assess different ways in which we're going to new markets. So we have to ensure that we're protecting our critical assets. We have to ensure that we're protecting our data. And that starts with visibility. Understand what you have, understand where it resides, whether it's on-premises, whether it's in the cloud, whether it's on a laptop, on a mobile device, where is it? Who has access to it? How is it flowing in and out of the organization? How's it being shared? How's it being modified? Only then, once you have the visibility, can you implement appropriate controls to protect that data. Yeah, and I know there are new laws being passed uh, in the UAE on data security, some of which are, are pretty new for, for you know entrepreneurs and, and middle-sized SMEs. Uh, a lot of us aren't that used to having these policies in place, whereas you know companies in the UK and US are perhaps a little bit more used to some of the regulations. But from your side, you know, you were talking about how data 
enters and, and leaves an organization. Just for just for some of our listeners, what are some really kind of generalist best practice ways to think about data security within, you know, a digital startup or, or, or any medium-sized organization? Yeah, that's a good question. And if I were to summarize it, I think it's really around those three areas that I mentioned before, where you want to start with visibility. Mm. You can't protect what you can't see. Okay. You can't protect what you don't understand. And if you don't understand what you have, and where it resides and how it's being processed, you can't protect it. Mm. But then secondly, it's making sure, you mentioned legislation and you mentioned uh, policies and laws. Yeah. There are global laws that are mandating now that if an employee is interacting with citizen data, interacting with customer data, they need to be trained around what good looks like. Mm. How should they be processing information? How should they be interacting with that data? How should they be protecting that data? We have to train our employees because if something goes wrong and you didn't train your employees, well, it's not on the employee, it's on you because you didn't implement appropriate training programs to ensure that your employees knew how to handle that data. So employee training is critical in ensuring that we're protecting that data and that they know what their role is in protecting that data. But then finally, it is also technology making sure that we're protecting that data with DLP controls, data loss prevention controls. Okay, great. I mean, that is what you're saying about data. It kind of suggests that there are different types of data, which I guess, you know, is, is obvious on one level. But what about public, you know, consumer-based data and citizen-based data? When cybersecurity experts are looking at kind of public sector citizen data, some of which might be quite sensitive, it could be health records, you know what I mean? Or kind of consumer data, you know, uh, you spent this on on PlayStation or Amazon. How does how do professionals differ in, in working with those two data sets? Is it generally the same kind of practice area or are there specific protocols when it comes to more sensitive data? Absolutely. So there, there are more sensitive controls that you can and you should implement for citizen data, for health data. There are also laws around how long you should store this type of information. If it's health information in the UK, it's seven years. Um, in other countries, it's 10 years. A financial information, again, there are policies around how long you should store that data just in case there's um, a legal case and you need to identify that information. Uh, there are laws around data access. Again, as a consumer, I have rights to get access to my information. And a company needs to ensure that they've implemented controls to make it easy to identify that information and share that information, but also to validate that I am who I say I am when I'm asking for my information. So absolutely, there are different controls and systems and policies and laws around health information, financial information, and ultimately consumer information. Anything that's personally identifiable, we have to ensure that we're implementing the strictest levels of controls. Of course, with financial information as well, there's PCI laws that we need to uh, implement. So. There's almost like a compliance track to this, as well as a cybersecurity track to protecting data. And that's why it's critical to segment the types of data that you have, to classify the types of data that you have. And once you classify that information, you can then implement those policies and implement uh, the rules to mandate what can and can't be done with that information. Mm. And fundamentally, I think, sorry, go ahead, John. No, 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 please continue. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to conclude that fundamentally, you know, data is changing. Sometimes we talk about data like it's this static being <laughs> that doesn't evolve. But we know that data changes over time. Mm -hmm. And this is why companies need to almost automate in some way the data security controls as well. Uh, I could give an example. Uh, think about a marketing team. They're working on an acquisition that the company is about to close. This acquisition is sensitive, it's private, it's not completed yet, but they're working on the press release. So they know with the business and with this acquisitive company that it's going to happen in the next two weeks. They're working on the press release, it's highly sensitive. You would classify that press release at that point in time before the acquisition closes as highly confidential information. But once the press release is released, all of that information is no longer sensitive. It's out in the open market. It's on all of the you know, media publications. It's in the news. It's on the website. So post-acquisition close, all of those data assets that we use to create the press release, it's no longer sensitive. It's open. So we need to understand that data lives. It evolves. It changes. And so our security and compliance programs need to live they need to evolve, they need to be automated, they need to integrate into business processes. Security can no longer live as an island. And ultimately, back to that original question that you asked, John, of what is a CISO and what is their role? A CISO is no longer just a technical professional. A CISO is a business professional. A CISO truly is a chief. And a CISO has that seat at the board because we have to understand our businesses, our people, how our businesses are operating to ensure that we're protecting those people, protecting those processes, and protecting the data that we're creating and accessing. Oh, thanks. That was a great summary. I love that press release example as well, particularly, you know, coming from a digital publishing background. That, that makes total sense. And also that discussion on data more generally, we spoke with a company called Ocean Protocol. I think the episode was entitled The Beauty of Data. And they were, um, you know, looking at emerging data markets and talking about the different kinds of data and why different kinds of data have different types of value. Really, really fascinating discussion. But I guess a component of that that we didn't go into too much detail on is that different types of data also have different security implications and privacy implications. And I guess to that end, I wanted to ask a little bit about how you think your industry is beginning to change a little bit or what are the the shifts on the horizon? Um, right now, there's a, a lot of discussion on, you know, immersive online worlds that seem to be a cross between the web 2.0, you know, internet and, and video games where you can kind of browse and shop on Amazon in 3D. We have these discussions on, you know, blockchain-based uh, DeFi protocols. It seems like technologies are changing how the internet works and presumably also changing the different types of data available and the different, right. you know, threats available. Uh, the gaming industry has had historical cybersecurity threats, you know, pretty much every single gaming company, but Sony in Japan, Xbox, many others. So, you know, over the coming years, we have this geopolitical conversation now really on how powerful you know networks are becoming how powerful the internet is becoming in our daily lives mm. and how rapidly it's accelerating and of course it's hard to model it's hard to predict because things are moving so fast but how do you see your industry changing 
And that's really interesting in terms of that evolution of cybersecurity, that evolution of the IT world, uh, that evolution of how we're collaborating, how we're interacting, and the systems, processes, technologies that we're using. And it's back to that point of complexity. What we're seeing in the consumer space and in the business space is that complexity is increasing exponentially. As we're leveraging new technologies and working in new ways and interacting in new ways and communicating in new ways, that complexity is increasing. Now, what we've focused on as a cybersecurity industry, certainly from a technology perspective, is to try to react, is to try to identify and respond to cybersecurity attacks as they happen. It's to try to, you know, implement endpoint security, machine learning and AI on the device to micro-segment the network, to, you know, put lots and lots of layers of controls and protection in place to identify, detect and respond to attacks in motion and at time of attack. But what we're seeing is if we're focused at the end of the attack chain, if we're trying to identify the attacker in our network or in our device, it's too late. They're already there. In some cases, they've been there for months. There's a situation in the Irish Health Organization in the UK where uh, they had a ransomware attack and they wanted to identify what happened. And this shut down the entire Irish health system, the entire organization. Surgeries were canceled. Chemotherapy wow. was canceled. Patients didn't know whether we're going to get their care, when they were going to get that care, because entire hospitals and clinics were shut down. And, you know, after they recovered, after a month or so of full recovery, they brought in PwC to identify what happened, to do a full audit. How did this ransomware attack happen? They had several systems in place or several technologies in place, including endpoint security, to potentially identify that this ransomware actor was in their network, but they didn't. They were focused on end of attack chain. They were focused on trying to detect the attack once it happened. But as we know from Verizon and as we know from number of different organizations that do analysis into this, it takes over 200 days typically to identify that a criminal is in your network. So fundamentally, what we're seeing in that shift in cybersecurity is that we're shifting left. We're moving to the beginning of the attack chain. We're trying to identify the techniques that the criminals are trying to use to trick people. We have to understand who the criminal is targeting, why the criminal is trying to target that person, what data that person has access to. We have to understand human behavior because what is static when technology is evolving and when complexity is increasing is the human element is the fact that the criminals are targeting people to take action now, people to click, people to download. And in the case of the Irish health system, a single cyber criminal targeted a single employee with a phishing email and socially engineered that employee to download malware. So again, they, that person opened an email, opened the attachments, enabled the macros and downloaded the malware on behalf of the criminal Onto that, onto that station, which then gave that criminal access to the entire system. They were moving through the network, downloading data, deleting backups, moving to other servers, downloading more health information. And it was only after three months of moving through that network did the criminal launch the ransomware attack. 
So what we're seeing in that evolution is that we're shifting left in the industry. We're identifying how criminals are targeting people. We're understanding human behavior. We're understanding who is a highly targeted person, who's a vulnerable person, who's a negligent person, but also from a human perspective, who's a criminal because we have insider threats as well. And based on that visibility, we're trying to block as much as possible from reaching a person before the criminal even gets access to the network. That's the evolution that we're seeing in cybersecurity. Wow, thanks. Yeah, I mean, that critical infrastructure case study is is pretty terrifying. Um, you also mentioned kind of a human element. And, you know, we're coming towards the end of our time, but I think that is a a really interesting discussion. And it's been a thread running through some of the other cybersecurity conversations we've had, because on the one hand, as you alluded to, when you're looking at, you know, a vast organization or some of these environments with hundreds of millions of users, no human being can, can you know, protect that system in real time. You need machine learning, you need AI, okay. you need, you know, software. But as, as we were talking about at the start of this conversation, you also have that governance role, that, that, that human intelligence that creates the organizational structure that creates the threat awareness. Um, you know, there was some suggestion with some of the, the experts we've spoken to that cybersecurity isn't just an automated software based industry anymore. It's also a very, a very human industry where you need a combination of human and machine intelligence to really make yourself secure. That's absolutely right. Um, Especially because back to that point of complexity, we've got security teams and cybersecurity professionals that have built teams to monitor technology because technology doesn't always understand your business. Again, we can implement machine learning algorithms and AI to understand you know, who typically communicates with who, who are your suppliers, who are your third parties, and almost build a schematic of your organization. But if you see an alert, if a security analyst sees an alert, they are more accurately able, again, if you have that visibility into how your people work and how they behave and what they have access to, if you see an alert, a human is much more equipped to be able to identify if this threat that we've identified and that we've blocked could have an impact on the organization or if it's a generic attack that's not targeted to this organization. So we still need people. We need people to be able to analyze the alerts. We need people to be able to bring in that business perspective into the intelligence that they're receiving. We need people because people are ultimately working in these companies as well. So fundamentally, technology blocks the majority of attacks from reaching your employees and reaching your organization. But there will still be targeted attacks that get through. And what we need to do as a cybersecurity industry is remove the volume, remove the majority of these targeted attacks, leverage machine learning to give you the visibility into your people and how they work and who's vulnerable, who's privileged, who's being attacked by which criminal organizations. And with that intelligence, you can focus on those high incident alerts, on those critical alerts that are coming through you can be focused and you can be much more effective as a security team, as a security analyst. 
that's the role that technology plays in protecting the organization and making the security team much more effective in their role of defending the data and defending the organization. Yeah, it's fascinating insights. Nikki, Nikki Cosgrove, thank you so much for your time today on the UAE Tech Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albuaba Business, syndication distribution on Albuaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albuaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.